Have you been blessed already this morning? Thank you, praise team. They have one more song after the sermon. I was sorry to see them sit down. I was, uh, I was really receiving a blessing, praising God together. It's so great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. And as you're turning to Judges chapter 13, you know, in the past, psychologists, counselors would sometimes use word association to find out where their client's heart was, what they were thinking. So a little wake you up this morning at the start of the sermon. I'm going to give you a few words, and I want you, you can turn to the person next to you or say it out loud. Just uh, say the first thing that comes to your, to your brain. Now, of course, last week was the first day of autumn. So when, what do you think of when we say the word fall? Okay. Colors. I like that one because I, that's, I, I, I think of that too. Here's another word. Uh, Detroit Lions. Losers. There's only one word I heard on that one. Uh, Steve Boslop. Oh, uh, more, more, more. No, 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 no. no. All I, all I heard was like handsome, intelligent, <laughs> awesome. You know, I mean, that, that's all I heard. Uh, my wife had some other words, but that's okay. Okay, one more. Samson. Ooh, I heard some mixed words there. I heard some mixed words. And we'll be studying Samson for the next two, possibly three weeks. And someone has said there's a little bit of Samson in every one of us. A little bit of Samson in every one of us. Just a little review. We have some guests today. We've been going through the book of Judges. And we know that Joshua took the people in. He occupied the land. The children of Israel, they were not completely obedient. They were supposed to destroy everyone and completely get rid, but they didn't. And their pagan neighbors gave them a lot of trouble. And now we have the judges, and we've had people like uh, Athanel, Ehud, Deborah, Gideon, Jephthah, and now we're starting Samson this week. And this would lead, the judges would lead to King Saul. So with that in mind, let's take a look at Judges 13, verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. You can also read up on the screen as well. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. Now, you shouldn't be surprised at this. This is the same cycle we see over and over and over again in the book of Judges. Now, 40 years, that, that's a long time. That's the longest enslavement of any of the accounts that we have in the book of Judges. The number 40 in the Bible means completion or judgment. 40 years. But it shouldn't surprise us because two of the key verses in the book of uh, Judges is Judges 2.10, where it says that after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, 
another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. After Joshua's generation had died off, another generation grew up who did not know the Lord or what he had done. And then in the last verse of the Bible, I mean, on the last, last verse, rather, in the book of Judges, it says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. Some of the translations, everybody did what was right in their own eyes. So we see that Israel is under bondage from the Philistines for 40 years. Now, when you think of the Philistines, that's another word association. You usually think of, the first person I think of is I think of Goliath. And when you think of the people, the Philistines, you think, all brawn, no brains. But that's completely the opposite. They were very sophisticated people that historians tell us they came from the area of Greece. They were the, they were the first to work with iron. They had iron weapons. They had war formations. They were the first to make bridges over water. They were advanced in their architecture. They had multi-story buildings, their art, and their pottery. They were also very big into pork, very big. They had pig farms everywhere. But they loved pork. Uh, they would have loved Cheryl's spare ribs she made for me yesterday. It was just, it, it was awesome. Who knows? They might have invented the hot dog. I, I really don't know. But they were big. And, of course, that was not kosher for the Israelites who were living close by, that they were now uh, in control over the Israelites. They were much superior to Israel in many, many ways. But we come to verse 2 and 3, and let's read this. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of the Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you are going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. There's something that's really big that's missing between verse 1 and verses 2 and 3. As we go through the book of Judges, there's something that's huge that's missing. Has anybody caught it? Usually, there's a pattern. And I might have missed that slide. Sorry, Rebecca, <laughs> if I missed the slide. But usually, in the book, there's a disaster that, that hits. And the people pray for deliverance. And they, they, they cry out to the Lord. And then the Lord sends a judge to save them. In this case, the people don't cry out. There's no record there between the first and the second verse. The people don't cry out. Why don't they cry out? They've been enslaved for 40 years. And you know what? Most people feel they're content with their situation. They're, they're content now. They've grown so accustomed to the pagan gods, that's their lifestyle, 
They're not even seeking a deliverer. So they're not even crying out. They're so content, and it's frightening to think how quickly they can adapt to this sinful pagan worship society, but they have. Or maybe they, they don't want to rock the boat. Later in 1 Samuel, we're going to read that the Philistines has, had actually disarmed the Israelites. So the Israelites really did not have a lot of weapons to fight back with. So that could have been the reason as well. But we see that they never, never cry out. The second thing that we see is there's, there's no judge available right now to deliver them. There's no one living that is stepping up to deliver them. God is going to have to start from scratch, so to speak, and he's going to have to have a baby be born to deliver the people. It's interesting that the promise is given to a barren woman, a woman that cannot have a baby. Having kids back then was very important. They lived in an um, Argarian society. Dave, if you're taking notes, that's a good word for you. You can use it in your next Scrabble game. Our, our, yeah, yeah, Argarian. That, that's an agricultural society. And the more kids that you had was more workers on the farm. There was no nursing homes back in Bible days. When you got to an old age, your kids took care of you. So the more kids you have, the more workers, the more money, the more people to take care of you at an older age. So here we're going to find out as we read, an angel of the Lord is going to visit this barren woman. You know, right here in verses 1 Two and three is really a great principle showing God's great salvation for all mankind. Because, you know, years later, God is going to provide salvation to a people that are not crying out for repentance. People that are not seeking a savior. You know, we sang one song, Come Now Fount. There's one of the verses about coming to rescue us, coming to rescue us out of our darkness that we were enslaved to sin and that God came to rescue us. One of the best passages of Scripture, Romans chapter 3, where Paul says this, Romans chapter 3, starting with verse 10. As it is written, and by the way, these are a lot of quotes from the book of Psalms. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. Just like the people of Israel, they weren't looking for a deliverer. There is no one seeking after God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are in open graves. Their tongue practices deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then we come to verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So just like in the time of Samson, People were not crying out. People were not repentant. 
But you know what? In God's great plan of salvation, God doesn't choose the righteous. He makes righteous those that he chooses. You know, parents, parents, we, sometimes we look at our kids and I think the hardest thing as a parent is when we see them make mistakes. And sometimes we, we want to jump in, but there are other times when we look at our kids make mistakes and we give them the freedom to make the mistake because we hope that they'll learn from the consequences. But it's hard. But no matter what they do, we love them even if they make the wrong choice because we're their parents. I'm their dad. I'm going to love them no matter what they do. Our Heavenly Father, if you're a child of God, when we make mistakes, He doesn't stop loving you. He's our Heavenly Father. And I, I love, and I, J.D. Uh, Greer uh, is one of my resources for this sermon, and I, I love some of the quotes that he has. And he says, God just doesn't love the lovely. He makes lovely those he loves. And God does not choose us because we're so righteous. We're not. It says, you know, he didn't come to save the strong. He makes strong those he saves. That's another quote by J.D. Greer. So, we're in the same situation as the children of Israel here. They weren't even looking for a deliverer. You know, what's the definition? They say religion is man trying to reach God. But Christianity is God reaching man. And that's, uh, that's the situation that we're seeing here way back in the book of Judges. So let's take a look at verse 4. Now see to it that... Um, that you drink no wine or other fermented drinks, and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor, because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. He was going to take a Nazarite vow, which is described in number six, if you ever want a further study on that. Most of the time, adults would take a Nazarite vow. If they wanted to get the attention of God, maybe they were going through a difficult situation, they would take a Nazarite vow for maybe 30 days, maybe up to a year. And part of the Nazarite vow is no wine, not even grapes. Don't touch anything dead or you become defiled. Don't cut your hair. Other people would notice that one if you didn't cut your hair. But this is unusual that this vow was given to Samson's mother before he was even born. One other person in the Bible that was like that was John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the other one. Even Manoah's wife had to be careful what she took in even during her pregnancy. I think it's very sad when we see babies born into our society that are born with different addictions, crack babies, whatever they are. That's, that's very, very sad. Take a look at verse 5. This is going to be um, his purpose. 
He will take the lead. I'm, I'm sorry, let me go back to verse 5 and reread that again. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. It's interesting there. He will take the lead. Some of the translation says he will begin the delivery. He's going to begin the process. It's been said that the prayer of Samuel in 1 Samuel chapter 7, by the way, John, that's the Ebenezer stone that you mentioned this morning, is 1 Samuel 7, and the conquest of David in 2 Samuel 5, they will finish the job. They will finish the job as far as, far as conquering the Philistines. Samson would start the job. But like Sarah and Abraham, you know, Sarah and Abraham, Hannah, Elizabeth, Manoah's wife, they were barren, but they received a message by the Lord that she would have a baby. Let's take a look at verse 6. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, A man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God. Very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from, and he didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then drink no wine or other fermented drink, and do not eat anything unclean, because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Now the big question is, who is this angel of the Lord? Who, who really is this angel? I think... We're going to get better clues as we continue on. Verse 8. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord. That's, that's a good verse right there. He prayed to the Lord. Pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again and teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. Hey, when you're new parents, kids don't come with instructions. And when you're a new parent, and you, you want to know as much as you can. I, I made so many mistakes with my kids. I still remember the story of my son, James, on a freezing cold day. I took him to the store, just him and I. He was a baby. I wrapped him up into this blanket. I'm carrying him into Kmart's. Something is not feeling right. It's just not feeling right. I get into Kmart's. I open up the top. His feet are sticking out. I had him upside down the whole time. But you know what? Kids survive. Kids do survive. But sometimes we need further instructions. Take a look at verse 9. God heard Manoah, and the angel of God came again to the woman, woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. The woman hurried to tell her husband, he's here the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, Are you the man who talked to my wife? I am, said. he said. Got a little clue right there. I am. Many people feel that this angel of the Lord is a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ or a theophany as it's called. Let's read further. So Manoah asked him, 
When your words are fulfilled, now this showed faith. Manoah isn't saying if your words will come true, but when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that go governed the boy's life and work? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I have told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine or drink any wine or other fermented drinks, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay until we prepare a goat for you. You know, this is a very hospitable culture. And when you had visitors, you did offer a meal. Even in poverty, you would come up with something to feed your guest. Verse 16. The angel of the Lord replied, Even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, What is your name so that we may honor you when your word comes true? He replied, Why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. You know, his name is indescribable, uncontainable. You place the stars in the sky and you know them by name. Your name is wonderful. It's amazing. And you know what? That, that same name, wonderful, is the same word used in Isaiah 9, 6 to describe the Messiah. Where... Isaiah says, wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace. His name is indescribable. Let's take a look at verse 19. Then Manoah took a young goat together with the grain offering and sacrificed it on the rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar towards the heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized that it was an angel of the Lord. Usually you would bring offerings to the tabernacle. In this, at this time period, it was in Shiloh. But in this case, the man of God commanded that they make an altar right on the rock. And as they had this altar, the sacrifice, this visitor went right up in the sky, right with the flame, and disappeared. Look at verse 22. We are doomed to die, he said to his wife. We have seen God. But his wife answered, if the Lord had meant to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and the grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or, or now told us this. I mean, his wife had the common sense. We're not going to die. He just, he just made all these promises to us. The Jews believed if they saw God face to face that they would die. So they were convinced that, boy, they had this special, this special visitor here. And... 
Samson's mom, by the way, Samson's mom is never mentioned by name. Isn't that something? Never mentioned by name. She believed, she believed this message. Unlike Sarah, Abraham Sarah, who laughed when she was told about the son to come, or like Zechariah and Elizabeth, who he did not believe as well. But Manoah's wife believed. Let's read the last two verses of 13. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahana Dan, between Zorah and Ishtal. The name Samson means sunny or bright. And, of course, Samson would bring a lot of sunshine to his parents who thought that they were never going to have a child. I guess the question is early as we explore and uh, study God's word is what is the source of Samson's strength that we're going to see in the next couple chapters? But let's continue reading here. Chapter 14. This is, a, again, a two- to three-part series. I do want to cover chapter 14. We'll move quickly. Samson went down to Timnah. He saw a young Philistine woman. Now, he's already full-grown here. We don't have a lot about Samson's childhood. But he went down, and he saw a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Wow. Someone said that Samson was sort of acting as a border patrol agent. His trouble is he was spending too much time in the enemy's territory. Usually parents arranged marriages for their kids back in this day. So here, you know, Samson sort of takes it upon himself to make a little trip out to the uh, area. We, do, we have a little map here that we can show you. Some of the key cities here. We know Samson is from Zorah, which is in Israeli, Israeli territory, just west of Jerusalem. Timnah is only nine miles away, and that's Philistine area. So he lived right at the border. One of the other towns, just for future reference, is way on the coast of the Mediterranean, Ascalon. That's going to come up later in the story. But here, Samson goes and sees this woman from Philistine. Go get her for me. Take a look at verse 3. His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all your people? Must you go to those uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? Now, we know that Samson's family was from the tribe of Dan. That must be southern Israel, because why would they say, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives? That's supposed to be a joke. You know, usually in the south, they, they, I'll forget that. I guess that's a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me. She's the right one for me. Notice those words, the right one. What's the last verse in the book? Everybody did what was right 
in their own eyes. Marrying foreign women was forbidden in Scripture for the Israelites. Why? Because they would often take in the pagan gods from their foreign wives and bring them in to their house. We see here that Samson is not only disobedient to God, he's also disobedient to his parents. You see his parents want them, he wants them to, to pick a wife from among the Israelites, from his own relatives. That was the joke, his own relatives. Okay, forget it. I won't go back to that. I'll explain it to you later. Okay. Stick to the word. Okay, verse 4. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines. For at this time, they were ruling over Israel. This is an important principle. God's purpose is going to be fulfilled no matter what happens. He's going to overrule Samson here. Even though Samson's making a wrong choice, God's purposes are still going to be fulfilled. His will is going to be worked out. Either if we're for him, even in spite of us, he is going to work out his will. Take a look at verse 5. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. So let me just set the scene here. I guess his parents finally agreed that we're going to go check out this, this lady in enemy territory. Let's make a little road trip. Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother. As they approached the vineyards of Timnah, first of all, a vineyard. We're going to find out that Samson takes a little detour here from his parents. What's Samson doing in a vineyard? What, I mean, last time I checked, there's grapes in a vineyard. He's not supposed to be having any grapes. But he takes a little tour. Suddenly, a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he, neither told, uh, he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with a woman, and he liked her. I, I just can't imagine Samson... I mean, what type of conversation did he have with this lady? First of all, he kills this lion. He never tells his parents. Maybe because he had a few grapes along the way. You have to remember, he's not supposed to be dealing with any dead animals, right? Two. But, I mean, he goes down, talks to this lady. I mean, hi, I'm Samson. I like you. Marry me. I, I, I don't know. I really don't know what, I mean, what type of pickup lines... To Samson, I mean, uh, do you believe in love at first sight? If not, let me walk past you again. You know, I, I, really, I really don't know. Is your name Google? Because you're everything I've been searching for. You know, I, I, really, I really don't know what pickup lines they had back then. Okay. So... Anyways, uh, let, let's, let's continue. We, be, we better get back to the word. Okay. Sometime later, he went back to marry her. So this is another trip. 
he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass. And in it, he saw a swarm of bees and some honey. He scooped out the honey with his hands and ate it as he went along. When he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from a lion carcass. So this is his second trip. Now he's, sort of, he's heading back for his wedding. He's taking his parents, and again he tells his parents, hey, you go this way, I'm going to go this way. Probably out of uh, pride, he, he wanted to see how that lion was doing that he killed. And he went by that lion, and he saw that bees had made a nest and that there was honey coming from the carcass of this lion. By the way, Nazarite vow, you're not supposed to be dealing with anything dead or you defile yourself. No grapes, nothing dead. No wonder he, he didn't tell his parents, right? You know, Samson was getting off to a rough start here. 1 John 2.16 says this, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, Come not from the Father, but from the world. Verse 10. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as it was customary for young men. By the way, Samson, we actually got a, a picture of the bridal party here. I don't know how we got this, but this is an original picture. He did not, Samson was a loner. He he did not take a best man with him. We're going to find out that he had to get his groomsmen from the Philistines. And 30 of them. So it's like, it, it's huge. All the other judges would rally people around them. Not Samson. He liked to do things on his own. But we see in verse 11, and again, Rebecca, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not staying on script here very well. When the people saw him, they chose 30 men to be his companions. Let's go ahead and we'll just read verse 12. Let me tell you a riddle. I should pause and, and, and say something. That these wedding feasts, there were seven days of partying, heavy drinking. On the seventh day, the marriage would be consummated. On the seventh day. So seven days of heavy drinking before the marriage took place. Remember, he's a Nazarite. Nazarite vow. So the party must have been going a little slow, and Samson says, I better liven this party with a little riddle. Verse 12. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let us hear it. He replied, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. For three days, they could not give the answer. Three days of the seven-day feast. Let's go on, verse 15. On the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. 
Did you invite us here to steal our property? So they threaten his wife, his wife-to-be. Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing. You hate me. You really don't love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continued to press him, she in turn explained the riddle to her people. Wow. Samson was strong, but he became very weak when he saw the teardrops of his bride. Do I hear any amen for the men out there? Oh, no, forget it. Now, here is a warning, um, a warning that for everybody here. Do not use uh, some of the language that's coming up, uh, you know, ever to, to your, your wife. But um, we come to verse 18. Before the sun set on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Samson said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. Men never use those lines. Never refer to your wife as a heifer, right? Now, a heifer was never used for plowing, so this was another way of saying that you're playing unfair. Samson was telling them, you, you guys, are, you're not playing fair. You cheated. So in verse 19, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. He went down to Ascalon, struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of everything, and gave their clothes to those he had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he returned to his father's home, and Samson's wife was given to one of his companions who attended him at the feast. The wedding was never consummated. Samson was so mad, he just went home to his parents' house. The spirit of the Lord came, and he went out and murdered 30 men. You know, this is a terrible story. Tragic story. But let me tell you something. God can use tragic things like this for his purpose. What was the purpose of Samson to, again? To begin the deliverance of the Philistines. If he would have married this Philistine lady and had a very smooth wedding and everything, he would have been reluctant to fight against the Philistines. Now Samson's got a big chip on his shoulder against the Philistines. And again, this was God's purpose for him in the first place. I mentioned earlier that Samson started the de deliverance of Israel and that Samuel and David would complete the job of delivering Israel from the Philistines. But if we're going to take a look at the greater picture as we, as we conclude, the greater picture of salvation, deliverance, not to Israel, 
but deliverance to all mankind. Years later, about a thousand years later, an angel is going to come to a virgin named Mary. She's not expecting to have a child. She's a virgin. And an angel spoke to her. An angel also speaks to Joseph. And the angel tells Joseph, you give this baby the name Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. He's going to deliver the people from their sins. Now, he wouldn't need a Nazarite vow. Jesus wouldn't. But he was the man from Nazarene, which is interesting. Jesus succeeded in every area that Samson failed. Do you remember when Jesus was tempted out in the wilderness in Matthew 4? He was tempted in every way. The lust of the flesh, the eyes, the desire for power, possessions, and the pride of life. Jesus passed every test because he was sinless. You know, there's a passage of scripture that's well known. I want to read it and sort of contrast Jesus here with Samson. This passage in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, describes our Lord. It's just the opposite of Samson, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father." When Jesus Christ was on that cross and he says, it is finished, the deliverance was completed. He delivered us from sin. And when he rose from the dead, that showed God's power, God's approval of that sacrifice, and it showed the power of the resurrection and victory over sin. You can have that salvation today. You can be delivered from your sin. Just go to God and say, God, I'm a sinner. We're all sinners. He did not choose the righteous. He makes righteous those he saves. Just ask him to be the savior of life, that, that you believe and have faith in the death of Jesus Christ on that cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he paid the penalty for our sin on that cross. Let me close in prayer. Dear Lord, your name is wonderful, just undescribable, amazing. We're here to worship you today. We're, Lord, we know that we love you because you first loved us. And that you demonstrated your love towards us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us on the sin died for us on the cross. So, Lord, we thank you. We weren't looking for a Savior, but you came and you saved us. 
We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.